smoking section. Here we are, another episode of Smoking Section Podcast. Uh, I am here. I met. I have never met this guy before. This is the first time we've met. However, uh, I gained interest of this guy uh, when I saw him at the CRS UMG luncheon, and I think that he had just found out that his wife was pregnant. I think. Oh yeah, that might that makes sense. Yeah. Hey. Um, yeah. He has songs like Yada Yada Yada. He has songs like Speakers Bleachers and Preachers. He has songs like he just released called Starting Young. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So his name is Brandon Lay. And Brandon, welcome to Smoking Section Podcast. How are you, sir? Man, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for taking the time to do this. This, this has been, this is going to be fun. Um, sorry, we could not do it in person, obviously, with everything going on right now. Yeah, we were just talking about that. That, <laughs> that would, uh, maybe we can circle back and do, and do that again one day. That we can do, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally, for, kind for of those, live up to the name. Yeah. Live up to the name of having a cigar and some whiskey. You know, it's, it's been tough. Know. We did a whole season prior to this. And Zoom and it drove me crazy. It was <laughs> it was very tough to stay on brand to have during Zoom. I bet. I bet. So let's start. You know, let's talk about your childhood. You are from Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, you are a preacher's kid. You are an athlete. Mm-hmm. You 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 loved music. So tell me, what was your lifestyle like in Jackson, Tennessee? What was how very long? very um you know middle America, just mm-hmm. middle class church and and ball was like you know throw in a few girlfriends and that was, that was life. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think you, I think you just summed, summed it up, you know, as quintessential as it sounds, um, you know, real involved going to church all my life. My two sisters were older and they sang in church. You know, obviously my dad was a minister for gosh, he still, he still is employed at the church, but um, you know, life did revolve around that and uh, basketball games, you know? So it was, um, it was either shooting, free throws or or chasing girls around Jackson and that was about it man it, but it made for a really good um you know, I feel like the American experience, if you will, is as dramatic as that sounds. I feel like I had it in Jackson, Tennessee. Ah, so what year did you end up moving, decide to move to Nashville? Were you playing around Jackson beforehand or were you, or were you playing around different states and going traveling as a, as an artist and a singer? Yeah, I had just started kind of branching out. Um, the first time I ever played in front of anybody was at a, um, a little block building bar by the Tennessee river. And I didn't tell anybody I was going just cause I just wanted to get my feet wet, you know, at an open mic on a Tuesday night. And and um, that summer, we went back every Tuesday night. I started bringing all my friends. And and I had actually my former basketball coach in high school. He's like, man, I'm going to push you a band together. And so I got you a drummer and a bass player. And before we knew it, we were playing around Jackson. And um, after I graduated college, you know, with, with a business degree, I mean, I don't know. I guess I've, I've either used that degree every day or I've never used it. You know, it's one of those things. Right. Um, but I just wanted to go to Nashville and, um, you know, chase the dream. And I felt like there's a odd time kind of after college, I'm sure a lot of people listening can identify with that. There's a window where, you know, a lot of people don't figure out what they want to do exactly in college, you know? So that was my time to to chase the dream down. And I took off and my sister happened to be teaching kindergarten in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is about 20 miles south. So I did have a soft place to land compared to uh, a lot of people like coming from Montana, you know what I mean? So right. I was I was blessed in that regard, just being two and a half hours away and, and having a, a sister with, a, with an empty bedroom. And I would just commute every night downtown and, and play as many many open mic nights as I could. So, what was the first song you got there? What, what were the what were your go to songs you got when you did open mic nights? Oh gosh, um, <laughs> you know they were bad. Um, 
I'm going to tell you, man, I had this song I entered in local radio. It was called Tell Me She's Ugly. And that song was the goofiest thing, man. But it won this little radio contest at Froggy 104. And so uh -huh. I got to um, open for Ash Bowers and Jonathan Singleton, who both guys were in the industry ahead of me. And they were both from Jackson. But that was like a big deal um, playing at Omen Arena. So I won the contest with that song called Tell Me She's Ugly. And that was kind of like my uh, bar cult following uh, everybody, you know, jammed out to that but yeah it's just embarrassing now when you look back but it, you know you got to start somewhere that is hysterical <laughs> tell me she's <laughs> i mean you can get the i bet you can get guess the premise on that you know? exactly <laughs> yeah. you don't want to see your you don't want to see your ex looking good you know i think the song had a lot of heart and maybe it wasn't executed the best but hey it was honest hey and you got to open for john singleton who's obviously a number one hit songwriter and, and yeah. ash bowers who is now the manager of Matt Still and, and one of my really good friends, Jimmy Allen. Jimmy, um, yeah. Yeah, pain in the ass. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's something, man. He's something. He's something. So you're trying to so say, okay, so you were playing around, you did open mics, you did, you open, you open for two great artists and songwriters at that time. Yeah. What year did you move to Nashville? Were you traveling back and forth or were you just, you just decided? No, to when I moved in 2010, it was two months after the, the big flood in Nashville. So I think they were just pretty much cleaning that up when I got there. And, um, you know, that's when I was there, I kind of took an athlete's mentality. Like, you know, I kind of gave up my landscaping business and I had a couple of rental houses, like old duplexes that I bought from my uncle. Mm -hmm. And so I was fixing those up. And the only time I come back to Jackson was to fix a hot water heater. You know what I mean? I, so that's the only thing I was coming back to Jackson for. So while I was there, I was trying my best to stay, you know, focused and and write like hell and, and try to meet new, new guys that were doing the same thing as me and it's funny the same jameson rogers is a good buddy we used to be roommates and we actually moved to town on the on the same weekend so you know it's funny i met him at the bluebird the first time and we were you know tighter now than ever and 11 years later so it's kind of crazy wow jameson rogers is good. he's a good dude good dude i would love to hear stories of you guys rooming, rooming together <laughs> you know jameson i want to out him a little bit when it would get a thunderstorm like he would get scared he was he was scared of thunderstorms yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I know I'm kind of telling on him, but he'd be like, oh, man, it's brewing, brewing up, man. You see that radar? What? So, what? Like, you're such a redneck, man. He needs to, like, go hide under the hide under the kitchen table. So that's I'm kind of out on him a little bit. His fiance is actually, I used to book, I used to, I went to college with his fiance. And we, oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, and I used to book her. She was 18, 19 years old. I used to book at a venue here in Nashville. But me and her, we we all, we had we used to go out to go after we after we were booked because we we both lived in Murfreesboro and was both going to MTSU. We would stop okay. at Waffle House and just go and just sit and chat the entire for maybe two hours at Waffle House. That's awesome. <laughs> that's a good place. That's a good place to uh, figure the world out. It's a good place, good place to figure the world out. Um, yeah. So, 2010. Two months after the flight, I came, I moved to Nashville in 2010 in January. Okay. I was, I, so I was here for the flood. I was, supposed oh my to, God. I was supposed to leave that weekend to go back home. And I obviously couldn't do that. Where's home for you? Philadelphia. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but couldn't do that. So you came after the whole aftermath. That's great. 
So yeah. what, you, <laughs> what, what was your expectations coming to Nashville? What, what was your thought process? I, I wanted to get a publishing deal. I, you know, anything to um, s- s- sustain, basically. My dad kept telling me, just, you know, stay in the game. It's just going to be a long, you know. He, you know, he was a Southern Baptist preacher, so he wasn't crazy when I started playing these bars and stuff. But then, like, once I, he knew that's what I was going to try to do, he was like, well, if you're going to do it, do it right, you know. So um, I really wanted to get a publishing deal so I could kind of quit, um, you know, sell the rental houses and kind of get out of my business affairs, if you will, uh, if you want to call them that, in Jackson and just kind of focus on music. And uh, it took three years and I got a publishing deal with Warner Chapel. But, you know, I always wanted a record deal, you know, but that was that seemed so unattainable. I just, right. you know, I was I was thirsty for that that pub deal so I could like, you know, be legitimate, a, a legitimate songwriter and and not have to worry about doing other odd jobs. Was there anything about Nashville that you weren't prepared for? Like, was it was it a did, did things that you everything that you expect to happen as far as the atmosphere of Nashville, Tennessee, as far as the, the atmosphere of the music industry in Nashville? Was that what you, was it what you expected to be or was it more so uh, shock on a lot of levels? Yeah, um, honestly, it was a pretty natural, um, natural fit as soon as I got there, um, because I, I guess I was kind of mentally ready for it to answer your question, because right. starting to co-write, you know, I jumped right in with Jameson and Hunter Phelps and some other guys that we just jumped in and started co-writing. And my buddies back home would be like, what, you sit in a room and think with another dude like for, for all day? Like it's so <laughs> the concept is so weird. But the collaborative spirit, spirit of Nashville, it didn't shock me, uh, but I was able to jump right in with it. So it was it was, you know, it's been it's been good to me, the town. But you can also drive around and look at it like that's a club that I ain't in that I want to be in. You know what I mean? Right. And right. like, I, you know, I drove around the Batman building uh, several nights after, I, you know, would play my one song after waiting in line at the Commodore and whatever. And I would just think, I feel like I'm part of it, but but you're really not. You know, you really want to crack in and, and, and make a lift, make a go at it. So, you know, overall, Nashville's been kind to me, but there's been times where I'm like, you know, it, it feels kind of like high school with a lot of money. You know what I mean? And yeah, it, yeah. So you, you're in the club or you ain't, you know, for the most part, I consider myself on the outside, but, you know, I kind of always have been an underdog, been the smallest guy on the court of the field. And so that, I think that's kind of helped fuel me too, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I've, I've noticed the commonality with a lot of art, country artists, just a lot of artists in general, is that at one point in time, they were athletes and it kind of tells the way that the discipline that sports instills in, 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 in someone translates yeah. into life and translates into future businesses and, and ventures after that. that. That's so true. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing that did surprise me when I moved, I had no idea it took such a village to to get something done, you know, and, you know, being able to mess with other people. I think you learn that in sports. You know, most people think the parallels are, are just discipline and, and go hard. Right. But really, teamwork is one of the biggest parallels with sports and music because, man, I had no idea it take, you know, a tour manager, a, a, a main manager, a day-to-day, a publisher, a publicist, an A&R person, you know, record like promotion people. I'm like, there's so many layers to that. That, that threw me for a loop. Yeah, because a lot of people, and that's the thing, a lot of people think that, you know, the common person, common fan, they only think about, oh, okay, it's you and the manager and maybe a booking agent, or it's yeah. you and the band, and that's all they see. Yeah. They, they, like you said, they don't realize the people who are calling every week or calling every day to get you played on, on and fighting for you to get you played on, on a, a certain radio station in the market, you know, or yeah. the booking agent that's trying to get you picked up on a tour, on a major tour kind of thing. They don't yeah. realize that there's a, there's a whole lot of avenues yeah. than just being an artist. It takes a lot of people fighting for you, for sure. I mean, obviously everybody knows it's 
super, you know, I don't say competitive because I, I don't look at it that way. There's it's art, you know, and I think there's room for, you know, if you're doing what you love and you're really connected to it and it, it's worth the damn, you know, it's going to connect eventually. Um, but yeah, people have, you know, I had no idea. Um, I know my mom and dad, they, they always say we, we look at entertainment so different now than we used to. We used to think, um, those people just sleep all day and go out all night, you know, and right. it's like, wow, it, there is a, um, there's a lot of tears to, to this thing. So yeah, it's an animal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you got your pub deal. Just fast forward to 2013. First of all, you got a pub deal. Very, that's for anyone who doesn't know, that's a short period of time to get a pub deal after moving. Set it, go set it. Three years. Yeah. Three years. I, I, I was blessed. I was very fortunate to, to get it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's some people who take 10 years, some people take five years, you know, yeah. uh, but three years is definitely a short period of time to make that accomplishment. Why'd you pick Warner Chapel? Was there any other deal on the table? Was there, you know, was no. there other smaller <laughs> mommy? <laughs> no, there wasn't. Um, I, it's funny. I, there was a week. Um, there's a guy, you probably know, Robert Philhart, uh, formerly of ASCAP. Yeah. Um, you know, that's it, a PRO for people that don't know, and they help songwriters get paid. But he was my uh, advocate. And I was actually a BMI writer at the time. And I didn't think anything about it. But somebody, Trent Willman, actually, I was right with Trent Willman. A lot of people know him. Him for beer man and he had some other hit um trent Wilman's such a good dude and i was about to sign a very low level record and publishing deal with some private money like one of those t- kind of things right, and it was, right. it was really going to tie me up and i was kind of excited about it because i was like man i'm gonna have a record deal i'm gonna have a publishing deal and um this is kind of a long way around to tell, tell how i got it but trent Wilman was like before you sign that i just want you to meet one guy and it kind of pissed me off because i was like man i came to trent you know we were going to write and I was like excited to tell him about this new opportunity. And uh, he saw the contract and he was like, just please talk to this guy, Robert. I'm like, I'm BMI. What is he going to do for me? But I, I met Robert. I played him a song and he said, do you want a publishing deal this week? And I was like, well, yeah. And he took me around to seven or eight different publishers that week, like right away and was just on fire for me. And um, I met Alicia Pruitt at Warner Chapel and I went home and I told my wife, I was like, if there's any way I, I can get at Warner Chapel, that's the one at all these seven, you know? And it just so happens none of them wanted me except for Warner Chapel. So that, 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 was, that was God's, uh, you know, sometimes God is, is loud in his messaging. So that was a, a, a no brainer. So I love Alicia Pruitt. Now BJ Hill's my, my guy over there. But Warner Chapel's been extremely generous because it was also like a, a development deal, an artist development deal. So they, um, they definitely had a lot to do with, you know, at that time I was on the road a lot on the weekends doing frat houses and Southeast college clubs and stuff. And um, they had a, a big hand and, you know, let me cut some, you know, EPs and whatnot, kind of throw them out at, at shows. So yeah, I, I was going yeah, to say, I was was say dur- during that time, did did you release any music on your own? Like, you know, kind of thing there was, was there and, and how, Man, did that, how did that go over? Gosh, I'd say this is, uh, it's kind of like, tell me she's ugly, but I had an album <laughs> when we were doing it called me, me and Dixie. And it had 11 songs that were probably pretty amateur, but they were from the heart, you know, and they, they connected and we were playing clubs that were full down in Starkville, Mississippi, and they knew all the words. So that was the first time I got to experience something like that. And that, for anybody that doesn't know, that's out of all the hard work and traveling stuff, that's what makes you get up in the morning. Um, that's the most gratifying part is when people know your music. That's the biggest compliment you can get. But other than that, um, I didn't because I'll tell you, I'll be 
honest, I was trying to play the long game and I was trying to get that record deal and I didn't want to jeopardize that. This totally doesn't make sense. Anybody listening to to 2021, (laughs) this totally doesn't make sense. But I was holding back, sandbagging because I didn't want to release music and then that jeopardized me getting a record deal because maybe they wanted to save it and promote it. And I wasn't the only one that thought that way at the time. Now it's so silly. It would be like, yes, put it out on YouTube, SoundCloud, get it out there. And that's looking back, probably what I should have done just because as technology grew with my career, mm-hmm. it, it, it warped, you know, it, it shifted. And so, uh, but luckily I did get the the big record deal uh, with Universal, but at the same time, record deals mean less now than they used to, even though I'm so grateful to ha- have one. Things like SoundCloud and Spotify, you know, have definitely, and you guys have definitely uh, helped level the playing field, which I think is a, is a good thing. So maybe I should have released more music on, on the come up, but I was trying to get that deal. Here, here's my opinion on that because because people you're absolutely right back then back then i think people everyone had everyone had the understanding that if you released it released a song on your own and it blew up or whatever then not necessarily jeopardize you getting the deal more so okay you sign a deal and they're gonna want to take it down and then re-release the kind of ordeal or have you re-record it that's what happened when i when i signed they they took you know we they removed all the music i had out so yeah which kind, which kind of sucks for fans. Like, I get the business, like, obviously being in the business, we, we get the business side of things on, on that. But for fans, it's like, uh, those are songs that people want to hear all the time that now the artist doesn't play live. Yeah. You know what I My mean? My dad told me, yeah. He, he was, I was like, Dad, I don't want to put those out. Like, I, I've got so much more going on. I've written so many more, more better songs than me and Dixie album. I don't want to put that out. And he's like, well, people also, you might think it's rudimentary, but people want to watch you grow too, you know, right. as a writer and an artist. They want to be a part of that, you know? So, um, I don't know. Maybe I need to call my label after this and, and get that re-released. <laughs> get, get but, that. Yeah, you're totally right. You know, like, right. the fans are like, because I have, I had, uh, I have a couple of uh, old Jimmy Allen songs. Oh, nice, nice. Mm, yeah, that uh, he forget he forgot that I have. Oh yeah. So are they blackmail or? Oh uh, uh, well, yeah, they could totally be blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. Yeah, but you're right. People would starve to hear hear that. Which yeah, got. yeah. People people starve to hear that, and and it's I I know for me there there are some artists that released some things prior, and it was never re released or it was taken down or and, and things like that. But I would love to hear because you as fan as a fan we related to those those songs. Yeah. And for yeah. and then to have them kind of be taken away from us, it's like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely seems counterintuitive. I mean, yeah. when you're trying to grow a business. Yeah. You know, music is what you're that's 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 the uh you're selling tomatoes. I mean, we're selling songs, you know, you gotta right. you gotta have you gotta have them. So you gotta have um them. I, I've never understood the um I understand on, on one side, but um, you know, just so you know now, I think I've probably have the same a little bit of frustration every artist on the label has. Like I've got stuff I can't wait to release. You know, I'll just put right. it that way. Right. I'm, I'm excited about, I wish I could release it all. And, and I understand the, there's a whole process it has to go through. Um, but yeah, I, I, the more music I can get to fans, I mean, that's that's what always makes something happen, you know? And when you're not releasing anything in this day and age, you're you're, you're slipping, you know, people forget about you. And, yeah, you, you lose that you know? you're losing that momentum that you had. That's right. You know, no matter what size of momentum you have, you're losing that momentum because because you're you're basically disappearing. So that's like, okay, I'm doing this music. What do I do? What other thing do I do to try to keep my 
myself relevant, you know, uh, in in this business that that, that I'm still out there. I'm still putting myself out there kind of thing. And then I feel like sometimes that could be a a downside because at that point, do some, I feel like some people might get known for doing what, whatever they decide to do outside of music and Uh, not really know, you know what I mean? And not really know for what they really, really, really love to do and what they're really wanting to do. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. It, you know, that that's a really good point. I mean, it, you just never know. And I think the golden ticket is obviously success, but it's almost you get the green light once you've gotten in the top 10, top 20, especially at number one. Then I think you can release them left and right. That's and right. it makes sense. Yeah. And I've had a 39. So look at me, you know, like I, I'm not, <laughs> you know, they're not flying off of my off my uh, cupboard, but I, they're in the cupboard. And um, I think I'm just trying to do what everybody else is trying to do and get and get heard right right so did you have any cuts with any artists that i did i um william clark green out of texas um we, we wrote a song called creek don't rise and home game on cole swindell's last album oh you wrote hope okay yeah. I, I know that i do like that song i did not know oh that. thank you man thank you and and i guess uh and jimmy allen underdog that was one i wish you would put Holy out shit you wrote underdogs yeah why yeah, did i, I know that i don't know that's, that's how crazy. i kind of met, that's how i got to be friends with jimmy <laughs> Yeah, you need to come bowling with us then. Yeah, all right. You need to come bowling with us. We we bowl right. we bowl about four or five times a week. It's kind of dangerous. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. a lot of shit talking that happens. Oh, I bet. I bet, man. Um, so okay, so you wrote Underdogs. Okay, I love that song. There's been times where I've seen like we've we've talked about doing deal. Like, I've told him to do deals with that song regarding football and regarding the, he's an Eagles fan. The year it would have been great. The freaking year that the Eagles went for that to be. I was like. I was like, this is lining up perfect. I told my wife, I'm like, this couldn't be any better. Jimmy's going to put out underdogs, and it's going to go – it's going to be the Eagles theme song. They're going to win the Super Bowl. They're going to win a Super Bowl. That would have been yeah, that, perfect. That would have been perfect. It just made too much sense. Man. Yeah, you know how it yeah. Is. Yeah, well, but that's still, but that, that, so you have, you have the song. I don't think, actually, I know that song is never going to leave his set list. Oh man, I hope not. Because hope not. that's, that's the song he closes the show with. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Yeah, he closes the show with that. That's crazy. I did not know that you, I, why did I know that? Um, that you co-wrote that. Yeah, he, he closed the show with that song. That's uh, awesome. I think for the last two years, and I don't see him changing that like, ever. Yeah. Um, um, but that's great. So you had that cut, but you haven't had like aside for your own from your own, you haven't had any singles with any artists as far as going on the charts and things like that. No, that's a hard thing to do. A lot of people don't think like realize that. <laughs> Man, yeah, if you that's it's such a series of small miracles, you know, something yeah. like that to happen. So uh, I've had I've had some close calls, you know, that you know you get your hopes up and stuff, but I mean it's going to be what it's going to be at the end of the day. And you know, just gotta write your best and, and go on. Hope people like them. So. Right. So um, you get signed to Universal, um, which has, and you're on, you're on EMI. That's right. Um, was it always EMI? Was it always going to be Universal? No other deals there. Um, I'll tell you, um, it's like when you get an offer from one label, the other labels want to meet. Mm-hmm. And and luckily, I had some, I had some options, um, but I went with Universal because I'm a big Tennessee football fan, and I'm tortured, obviously, following those guys. But at the time, Butch Jones was the coach, and 
Brian Wright and Stephanie Wright's my head person at A&R over there. Right. He used to play ball at Tennessee. He knew Butch. Make a long story short, we went to dinner and they had Butch call me and, and offer me the record deal. So I went with Universal because that was like, that was pretty cool. And my mom and dad, they don't really know much about music at all. But my dad was like, oh, Butch Jones, you know, Tennessee fan. He was like, that that meant something all of a sudden right. to them. Like, right. Never mind the record deal. Butch Jones called you. Butch Jones called. That's yeah. crazy. Okay. So <clears throat> what was the process? Because speaking Bleachers and Preachers was your first single, mm-hmm. right? So what was the process of that? Because well, I'm sure that wasn't the only option you guys had. I, I think on the rollout, they really they really want to push like um, who you are and, and where you come from. And so I think that sentiment had a lot to do with, with choosing that single. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a very literal, you know, where I come from, what I'm about. But I think that's why they, they wanted to go with mm-hmm. that one. And luckily, they have been, Universal's been so great. You hear horror stories about getting a record deal and having to cut what they tell you and all this stuff. They've let me cut the songs that I want to cut. And so when it got to the point of picking the first single, I didn't care because they I liked all of them, you know, so I was, right. you know, but not to not to minimize what that song means to me, but I think that was the thought process behind it. Gotcha. So how many, because I'm sure you were shopped around. I'm sure you shopped around all the labels, like you just said. And But how many, so how many no's did you get before you got the deal? Um, You know, I, I tried not to have too many meetings until I was really ready. Mm-hmm. Um, I say three, three good hard no's. Yeah. Hard. And they were, they were mainly after showcases, if you will. Right. They were really just shows in Nashville, but it was, knew somebody that knew somebody that would invite. No one's like, Right. The way it works in Nashville, basically. Yeah. Uh, what so was I had three like, pretty hard no's, you know, what, what, what was what was the hardest no? And what's been the hardest no in this industry that you've had to be like, oh, shit, like that one. Hurt. I had a, I'll tell you what hurt. So I, I driving my old motor home. I had six guys, my band. Uh, we traveled around the country in this motor home. I was going from Nashville to Starkville, Mississippi to go play. And we were going all over the south that weekend. And I was crossing the Tennessee River and I'll I'll not name my former manager um, called me and said that Rochetta's in. We we got the deal. You know, you, you got a record deal. Congratulations, man. And uh, I got to Jackson because it was like a, you know, kind of a halfway point. Right. My mom and dad met them at Tractor Supply parking lot. My mom was like tearing up. We we're so happy and all this stuff. Come to find out it wasn't true. And that I found that out like later that night that, well, this happened and this happened and it never was true. And I think a lot of a lot of times people run on hype in Nashville to get things done and you know you hype it up and make somebody believe this and this and this and then it actually happens but that wasn't the case this time so that was the most rug pulled out from under me um, experience that I had because I really thought I'd gotten what I dreamed of you know right. and then found out that it was more or less it was a lie so um, that, that, that is some fucked up shit I'm gonna go ahead and say it <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's yeah. some that's fucked a, up that, shit for that to happen I I think that might have been the first thing I said when I found that out too. So, wow, um, that is some fucked up shit. I've I've heard <laughs> I've heard some stories in Nashville that that I think that one takes a kick. That that's yeah, I know, man. I'm even meeting my parents and like having that moment, having you know, that moment. Like, like so, like so. Okay, so now now I get why because I'm sitting here after you talking about the whole Butch Jones with your dad. <laughs> now I understand why they really didn't react the way that they should have react. They were probably still happy, but they didn't. React because they had already been played once. Been punked, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's like crying 
crying wolf, but I, um, yeah, luckily about two years later, it finally, it finally came, but you know, that's, that's, uh, I'm a believer in God's timing and that probably wasn't the right time and wasn't the right place for me to, to have a deal anyway. So I kind of developed a few more years playing more honky tonks and writing more songs. And I think it all worked out for the best. So you played honky tonks. Did you play anywhere downtown? Man. Okay. So Ash Bowers, Jackson, Tennessee guy, uh-huh. hometown kind of hero, if you will. He's always been my, my boy. He, he told me not to play downtown. He said, stay away from him. And he said, you'll make some money. Then you get trapped and you'll be doing that. And he said, when you're asked, you'll be writing songs. And I think that was some of the best advice that I got because I got that old motor home and I bought it off Craigslist and we would hit the road and, and kind of try to grow, like grow the brand, if you will. And uh, I think that was that was some really good advice because I also made better money, you know, right. on the road than I would at Nashville. So um, I don't know. I think that kind of going out and, and seeing new places and being heard in different states and stuff was, and then writing songs during the week. I think that was a good formula. That is uh, crazy because I always tell people, I I, I, I I haven't talked to Action in a long time, but I always tell people don't play downtown because I always really? say the same thing because you, you, you do get stuck. And this is not knocking anyone who plays downtown. Because, Absolutely not. Because they're very talented. They do that show on a regular fucking basis and they're very talented. Yeah. But so and, and a lot of them are happy doing what they're doing because they're making a living. Yeah, a I mean, lot some of my some of my guys play. Um, yeah, like now when we're not on the road, they, they'll go play and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I, I definitely got, got respect for them. But as a as a brand new artist, yeah, you're right. I think it's better to get on the road. It's better to get on the road. It's better to get on the road. It's better to play the writers round so you can test yep. out your new songs uh, than to go downtown where you're getting drunk every night and <laughs> playing wagon wheel, and playing wagon wheel and Leonard Skinner and everything else. Yeah, you can be a, a <laughs> hero down there playing somebody else's songs you know exactly you pretend. <laughs> exactly so it's just like you know you know I, i've always said that too I've, I've actually told a couple of friends that who are really? playing downtown like you need to get out because yeah. if yeah. you look right now you're you're gonna be trapped here for, for a long yeah. time yeah so that's crazy i'm still stuck on the fact that that motherfucker uh told you you were sorry <laughs> <laughs> i know man who, who does that I, I don't know <laughs> i hope the guy that he is not working in the industry anymore god i hope he's not working <laughs> I don't. I don't even know. You know, I don't wish any ill will on him. But I, that, after that, obviously, I fired him. So, um, right, that was that. Right. So. Um, like I said at the beginning, beginning of the interview that the first time I even heard the name Brandon Lay was at the Ryman and I think it was the first time you played the Ryman if I'm not mistaken I think so yeah I think you're right I just, I, and I announced that my wife was pregnant yeah and I hadn't even told like Stephanie you know is my A&R she's my go-to on the label and she was like I got off stage and she was like what the hell you didn't tell me that so yeah, yeah I tried to keep that a secret yeah you got to I'm like oh shit I'm like, and then you played so let's talk about it because that was your first time and and obviously it wasn't just like it wasn't like an outright you know rhyming show but it's right. still a rhyming and I, I try to tell people that like it doesn't matter what you're there for you can have an empty fucking crowd in there and, and going on a tour and they yeah. let you sing or whatever and on in that circle on the rhyming what's it like being in that historic stage staying on that historic stage and just looking out at people well first of all like, aesthetically it's an awesome room if you just look at it for, for what the, if you take the history out of it and just stand there the you the, the stage is close. The balcony's close. It's warm. You know, it's round and it's warm and the monitors are badass. And that's a really big deal playing, you know, yes. somebody, somebody's always bitching about monitors and they're so good, you know, and it makes playing such a, such a joy, but 
uh, then you then you add in all the history and um, gosh, I, this sounds terrible, but I did my best to not think about how important it was. I tried not to psych myself out, you know, because I was like, man, I'll be, I, I can do that later, you know. But while I was there, I'm like, it's just another stage. It's just another stage, you know. Telling my guys before right, we were on stage, right, you know what I mean? Right. But uh, like we can we can soak in it after we 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 do our job. But um, I tried to downplay it in my head. I guess that's like the sports psychology thing. But um, afterwards, I was like, yeah, this is pretty surreal. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I've been on that stage, and I was with well, Jimmy. Jimmy just played this, played that during the whole quarantine thing. And, oh my. And we went, I, you know, I did the whole backstage thing and we was walking off, but we were able to walk off and crawl across the stage. Oh, nice. And it was me and Cortland Finnegan and we were like, we're on the stage and there's no one in here. So there, I've never posted these pictures, but there's pictures of me and him on the stage, like just, oh, so, awesome. like just soaking it in. Yeah. And it's like, and I, I, I think I walked off and I'm like, holy shit, I just did that on t- I just did that on the stage of the Ryman. Like, yeah. yeah. Holy shit. You know, yeah. that's, that. I, I wanted to know that i wanted to know how that feeling was because i figured i figured you were a little bit nervous <laughs> yeah, i was so nervous man i was I, I think i drank two airplane bottles of fireball before I went <laughs> yeah i was pretty nervous man so what's been your biggest who's been your biggest influence in in in, in music man I, this sounds like i'm just making it up because i went on tour with him but kenny chesney um really like i started really loving country music when he started taking off with like young and mm-hmm. um how forever feels and i go back that when the sun goes down album happened to come out my senior year of high school mm-hmm. um and so it was kind of the anthem that whole album to to a lot of first you know a lot of first beer on the on the river and you know getting out of high school and just a lot of freedom kind of wrapped around that record and so um you know kenny being the east tennessee guy his work ethic really inspired me because people would say nobody's gonna outwork him and i said i want to be that guy that people say that about you know i want to grind like like that and you know, I was thankful to get to go on tour with him. And they say ne- never meet your heroes. And it's like, hey, Kenny's the real deal still, you know. So um, I really appreciate Eric Church's music and what he makes. I like I like his his music. Uh, but, you know, I'd say for anybody that's still in it, Kenny is my, my uh, inspiration. Who's uh, your first concert? Uh, Kenny. Kenny was first. Yeah. Yeah, I was in eighth grade and uh, uh, we had some terrible seats, but we could we were behind the curtain. It was in Omen Arena in Jackson and like they blocked off half of it. Right. And we were so far back. We, were, we could see him coming up on the riser. And my mom's married to a Southern Baptist preacher. And then I had my little girlfriend from eighth grade. And when the lights went out, I think they started playing Thunderstruck. I never heard either one of them scream like that. And I was like, that's what I want to do right there. That's awesome. So it gave me chill bumps. And, and I don't know, I'll never forget that night. I have definitely got to sit and have a beer with you after this because we have a lot in common. We moved here the same year and the same person got us into country music. Really? That's yeah. awesome. I started listening to Kenny Chesney around about the same time he started blowing up with the When the Sun Goes Down album. And really? I, yeah. And he was yeah. my first country concert. Really? Him. It was him and Gretchen Wilson. And oh, that, that, I know that too. Yeah. <laughs> that was a kick-ass lineup, yeah. Uh, Gretchen Wilson, uh, Uncle Cracker, Pat Green, and Kid Rock Big showed up. Big and Rich is on there, too. In yeah, different, that was in, a- in different cities, Big and Rich is on there. Oh, man, that was that was wild. That yeah. was wild. That was a good time. That was that was one of my, it's still one of my top favorite concerts that he, that he Yeah, yeah, so. that was a good, That man, that was a great, um, I got to see that when they came to Nashville, and that was awesome. Man, 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 oh, man. So what's next for you? What's, 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 it, 
it is uh so is starting young going to be the next radio single i don't think so no um no i've kind of been you know taking a lot of this quarantine time i've been writing a lot and uh recording some new stuff it's brand new that nobody knows about okay. um i don't even know if i've told the label yet so i don't know when this is going to air or whatever but um you know just been cutting stuff and and really you know you got to have that one like i said that have a have a key to open up so you can release other ones you know so um we we think we've got it with this this next stuff hopefully um you know the radio game and everything is is such such a key part to it but it, you know obviously also guys like y'all and um other avenues are making it where you know things can be heard and um that's all i want to do is tour and and have songs that people can look up and hear also on stage you know when you're putting out little eps it's hard sometimes yeah you know you're going out opening for somebody for 20 minutes and they only know you for for one little song and so it's boring except that one song they might kind of know you know so i would love to have these available where we can just tour off of them what's been what's been your uh your best song written so far oh gosh you consider i know i know they're all kids so yes i am asking you to pick a favorite uh yeah um i wrote with dean dylan one time and he scared the hell out of me um god he was he, he just he was scared he i mean he was just like like when i met him he was very intimidating and obviously his success is intimidating and you know i was a little fish writing with a big fish and i had a, a little idea and we wrote a song called broke um that that we're that's one of the new ones that we're going to be hopefully putting out and i would say that's one of my my better ones um that one and there's also one i wrote in my dorm room called more i'm poor that i wrote you know 12 years ago but right now i would love to release it it just feels really really timely um so those two are kind of my closest kids i guess you could say uh it, i i always tell people it doesn't matter when the song is written yeah if it's a hit song it's a hit song it doesn't matter when like for instance uh stick that in your country song by eric church was written i think six seven years ago oh is that right yeah wow. yeah it was really like broke country huh. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense. So, so and, yeah. it, and it's still timely. You know what I mean? So, if you have one of those that's just still timely right now that you written twelve yeah. years ago, you know that's gonna be it. That, I, that, I put it off. It. My, my sister and my mother in law kept nudging me to cut it, and and um, you know it's it's not like I don't. I'm, I'll just be honest. I don't think it's like the best song ever as far as maybe melody or whatever goes, but it's like the most brutal, like, brutally honest song I could put together, and I, I feel like a lot of people need to hear it and would like to hear it. Um, um, so I'm, I'm excited for that one. That's great. That's great. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to, we're going to transition. Cause I, I, I want to touch on this because we haven't touched on it the entire time. Um, married man, happily married daddy. Now daddy of two now, yeah. daddy of two now weird. Yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I'll wow. tell you something, man, this is really random. Okay. I get accused of being so too sentimental all the time, but there's this random hotel in Bowling Green, Kentucky that has an indoor swimming pool that I learned to swim in. And we would always come as a cheap vacation as a family when I was right. young to, to this hotel. And, um, Nicole and I needed a few nights away from Nashville. And so right now I'm, I'm in the basement of that hotel, uh, in the conference room. And, uh, we're going to wear out the pool here in a minute with, with my kids in the same pool I learned to swim in. So it's pretty cool. They kept this, this old hotel. Yeah. So, I mean, it gives you an idea of how nostalgic I am, but, um, yeah, I'm glad to be here. That, man, that's, that's crazy. So what do you name your kid? What's your name of your kids? You have two, what, two girls? Uh, Ryder is the little boy. He's, uh -huh. he's two. And then Lara Jean is, uh, nine months old. She's a little girl. Ah. So it's weird, man. I never thought I'd be like, even when I got married, 
married, it felt so weird to call Nicole my wife because it sounded like too old and official. So I called her my girlfriend until like five years into our marriage. So now calling myself a, a dad, you know, it's like I, I you can't I wait till you can't wait till they're five years old to call you dad. Call them dad. I know, I know. I, I, absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely love it. But then when I think about it, sometimes I'm like, man, it wasn't that long ago. I was in Panama City on spring break. You know what I mean? So it's, it's all good now. There goes my life. There goes my life. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're gonna wrap up here. But what I, I got one question for you, because uh, you 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 see some success, but I want to know what is your advice for someone nowadays in 2021? Obviously, this is 11 years into us living in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, what's your advice to an artist, a writer coming into town? Um, if I could give them one thing, uh, write alone. Don't get me wrong; you have to go out and network and, and write, but it's those like mornings and nights that you're not when you're not in an official ride or whatever, mm-hmm. ride on your own because I almost, it's not, I hate to call it practice, but a lot of times when you meet somebody new, you take half the day just to kind of get going and you might kick around some ideas in a room and like, no, that, that's good to do, you know, to get, to get structure and all that, but there's nothing like the truth, you know, so write, write, don't forget to write alone, you know, so I think some of my best stuff is, has come that way, my best ideas and, um, you know, I know everybody's different, but, um, you know, that, that'll help point you towards honesty you know right i think that i think a lot of people because they think that they have to write with everyone because there's just so many yeah. you look at all these songs there's what four writers five hours six writers and it's like yeah at that point you're yeah. like at what point do you decide that you're not making any money off this single <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know hey if they won't put my name i'll be a six though exactly exactly yeah. <laughs> well this has been great this has been great uh thank you so much for uh for joining the show um i I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. Um, Likewise, Marcus, man. We, I, re- I really am. I appreciate we it. definitely need to go bowling because I really need someone to talk shit to Jimmy Allen besides me. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. Besides That'll me, work. Major Tiffany stopped coming, so it's like... He 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 became a podcast. Yes, I said it on podcast. Tim <laughs> Benny. Oh yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but this has been great. Thank you so much for um, for doing this, taking the time out of your vacation, obviously with your family. No, Mark, yeah. man, I, I really appreciate it. I, I'm glad to glad to be on the show and and you know get to get to talk to you through this. It'll be fun to get together and we'll, and, we'll and get bowl. we'll get some whiskey, some bowling, and we get and we'll get some cigars in next time. First time. <laughs> that sounds good. Bro.